everyone. Welcome back to From the Front Row, brought to you by the University of Iowa College of Public Health. My name is Alexis Clark, and if this is your first time with us, welcome. We're a student-run podcast that talks about major issues in public health and how they're relevant to anyone, both in and out of the field of public health. Today, we are excited to welcome MHA alum John Diedrich, President and CEO of Rush Copley Medical Center, Mary Shalkaitis, Senior Vice President of Operations and Chief Operating Officer of Rush Copley Medical Center, and last but not least, Corey Thomas, current MHA student here at the University of Iowa, who has spent the summer interning under these two great leaders. Thank you all for coming on the show. Happy to be here. Happy to be here. Thanks, Alexis. So today we'll be talking about a topic that is still at the forefront of conversations and something that the show has talked about previously. And I can promise you we will continue to talk about it in the future just because it is that important. Diversity, equity, and inclusion. Before we dive into our discussion, let's hear a brief background from each of you and a background on Rush Copley to give our listeners some context. John, why don't you start? What's been your journey to get to your current position? Well, thanks, Alexis, and thanks for inviting us, Corey, as well. I'm looking forward to having this conversation. My my journey could be a whole podcast by itself, I think, but I'll try to keep it short and sweet. Since I am an alum of your program, I'm proud to be able to to give back to the Iowa MHA program today and have a conversation. I'm currently the president and CEO of Rush Copley Medical Center. I joined the team back in 1985 when I was 16 years old as a pot washer at the old Copley Hospital. And I ended up getting to know a lot of people in the hospital and I worked in the cafeteria for a while. And I decided that I would choose healthcare management as a career. And I went to the University of Iowa as a undergrad, got my bachelor's degree and I stayed on and was a dual um, degree student at the um, MHA program with an MBA. So I stayed for three years in, in the master's program and got the two degrees. And when I came out, I, as, as you guys are doing now, I interviewed for fellowships all across the country in Philadelphia, in uh, New Orleans, in Oklahoma, all over the place. And I kept on coming in second for all these nationally competitive uh, fellowships. And I, w- I hope you guys land one early because it was a stressful time. But nonetheless, I was kind of humbled and a little embarrassed by the fact that I didn't have a job right out of school. And I came back to my hometown hospital. And at the time, Copley had just received a certificate of need to build a brand new hospital, a replacement hospital. It's about six miles east of where our old location was. And our HR director at the time invited me to help them out with the project planning and and planning for a new hospital, which was, in hindsight, the best thing that ever happened to me in my career because I got to watch a hospital grow out of a farm field. And I was involved in a lot of different departments. And once we moved here, I got married, met my wife, had three kids. So that was that was you know a great experience, of course. And then just stayed on as a lifer at Copley. I worked in revenue cycle and for uh, maybe nine years, joined the executive team in 2002. I became chief operating officer in 2006 and then CEO in 2019, just in time for the pandemic. So that was quite a journey. It's a, it's, it's a long story, but that's 36 years and about three minutes there. So that, that's great. Before we move on to the other guests, John, you mentioned that you saw a new hospital come from farmland, essentially. What's yep. Aurora like now? Well, Aurora is, has been a growing community for many, many years. It's actually now the second largest city 
in the state of Illinois after Chicago. So we have about 200,000 or so people in Aurora, but we're right next, situated right next to Naperville, which is also a very large city. I think one of the top three or four in, in the state as well. And um, if you put our entire uh, landscape together, we serve in our primary service area about 400 to 500,000 people in the far uh, west suburbs of Chicago, Fox Valley region. So Aurora has been a growing town and Naperville has been a growing town for a long, long time. Our growth is actually coming from the West now in Kendall County, in the Yorkville, Oswego, Montgomery communities. And that's where we see our, our future growth for, from a primary service area perspective. Thanks for that background. Mary, what about you? What's been your journey to get to your current position? Well, I think I'll start at the end of the journey, maybe. I've been at Rush Capley for 20 years, about 20 years. And I think I'm sitting in the chair that's my pinnacle opportunity. So I recently became our chief operating officer after a long career, both in healthcare and here at Rush Copley. My background is nursing. I'm very proud because I'm the first woman in this chair as well. And I think I'll share that because we're on a DE&I conversation today. And I also share that proudly as a growing through healthcare, public health as a nurse, I've seen many things. I've had many roles. I've been a nurse recruiter. I've done transport nursing. I've spent a lot of time in the women's health field. And there was a moment in my journey that I felt like I could make a difference being a healthcare leader and took a more traditional nursing leadership path. I was the chief nursing officer here at Rush Copley for many years, helping us achieve our magnet status. And just prior to the pandemic, I was promoted to the senior vice president, chief operating officer, and I'm very, very happy um, in this role and have found that a background both clinically and in healthcare, you can really make a big difference from this viewpoint. So I'm really proud to be partnered with John. I think we work great together as a team as we grow services for our community. And maybe to add just a little bit about what our organization looks like, I would say we're a very sophisticated community hospital, 210 beds, a lot of the more sophisticated tertiary clinical programs, including open heart services, a level three neonatal intensive care unit, major ambulatory programming. So I think we're a pretty sophisticated community-based healthcare center. And just for clarity, too, we are part of the Rush University System for Health, which is made up of three hospitals, Rush University Medical Center, downtown Chicago, Rush Oak Park in Oak Park, Rush Copley in Aurora. There's also a university, Rush University, that's part of the system. So, And there's also a physician hospital organization called Rush Health out of Oakbrook. So we're a pretty uh, robust system with both community settings and academic settings. Great. Thank you both for the explanation. Moving on to Corey. Corey, obviously you're an early careerist. So how did you find public health and what about Rush Copley enticed you to apply to their internship? Well, I came into college essentially as an undecided major. I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. I didn't know that health would be my true calling. I've always enjoyed, you know, sports and nutrition. So I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I ended up starting with global health, just based off of going to Haiti and doing some internships there. And that kind of segued into public health. I, when I told my stepmom at first, I was like, oh yeah, I'm a major in public health. And she's like, 
oh my gosh, Corey, she was like, I don't think that's where you want to be. I, I'm, I'm not sure if you know what public health really is, like everything that goes into public health. And I'm like, Rosa, this is exactly where I need to be. I love it here. And I ended up having kind of a deeper conversation with my advisor and just explaining what my true interests were, which were physical activity, nutrition, how can we get people the proper education that they need to live a healthy lifestyle, a longer health, healthy lifestyle. And she led me to health promotion, which is all things that, which was great. So that was under the health and human physiology track. And so since it's it's been history i'm now in the mha program which is great and through the mha program i had to do my internship and i started well i originally was just only going to apply to places in iowa just due to living situation i i didn't consider illinois at all just because i didn't know anyone in illinois and i was like even though i have friends there i don't feel comfortable you know reaching out to their family so I met with John because he was my alumni I was paired up with to do my resume review. And he had fabulous feedback as always. And I really enjoyed talking with him. So I wanted to maintain that connection that we had. And I reached out to him again and scheduled a, a meeting. And he was like, hey, are you think, are you applying to Rush Copley's internship? And I was like, I am now. Like, now that you bring it up, I sure am. So I applied and I loved the people who interviewed me and just continue to come back for the interviews they offer you know a next interview and then a next interview and then next thing I knew I got the positions that's kind of what led me to Copley was just John's little little nudge of his question hey are you applying and I was like yeah why not and so it ended up working out great Thank you Corey that's good <laughs> me too me three or we wouldn't we wouldn't be here so yeah that's right good job Corey so moving on to the bulk of our conversation, John and Mary, in what, whichever order you feel comfortable going in, can you discuss what DEI meant to Rush Copley 10 years ago and how has it progressed and what does DEI mean to the organization now? I think this might be more of a conversation between Mary and I. So I'll just start off by saying, you know, 10 years ago, DEI to me was more about our community health needs. What do we need in our community? We Every three years, we do a community health needs risk assessment. And we saw that in many underserved populations in Aurora, we were having issues with, you know, our community members who were maybe more at risk or underserved, having access to care, access to medication, access to insurance or insurance information. And we had a whole action plan related to that, which was more looking at a community approach to equity, I'd say health equity in our community um, versus more of a internal, you know, assessment of what we were doing internally. It was more of a community assessment. I'll pause there, let Mary comment on maybe where we were 10 years ago. Yeah, thank you, John. And it's, it's interesting because John speaks to the framework that we use routinely in terms of a non-for-profit hospital, and that is to do a community health needs assessment on a routine basis. But I would say 10 years ago, I don't know that like in one way we were conscious of the terms, diversity, equity, inclusion. True, the terms existed, but not in a conscious conversation. So while we were doing a community health needs assessment, I don't know that we were connecting all the dots of deeper meaning of diversity, equity, and inclusion. 
as we do today, fast forward 10 years forward. So a more deliberate mindfulness, I believe exists a more the I think the meaning of the terms has evolved over time, you see it much different in the literature today, in articles that we read and publications that we talk and share about. So I think there's a deeper meaning meaning today. And that's a good thing. And it's brought more forward in consciousness, which is also a good thing. And we're talking about it on a routine basis. And, and I also think, you know, when we integrated with uh, Rush University Medical Center, you know, a few years ago, four or five years ago, there was also a spotlight on that because Rush University Medical Center is is pretty good in this space and, and is a role model in the DE&I area. And I think we had a lot to learn from them. And we, I think, I think our focus area in the beginning was the LGBTQ area arena. And um, we had some you know, startup programs here looking at health equity across that community, but we really learned a lot from our colleagues down at Rush and brought some of those learnings to our hospital and applied for health equity leadership status through that and achieved that in 2018. So that's where we started to really start to see some momentum building on the diversity, equity, and inclusion front. That's excellent. I think it's important to note what Mary said with diversity, equity, and inclusion meaning something completely different 10 years ago and how it's really evolved both in the literature and in day-to-day practice. Can you discuss what DEI means to you on a personal and professional level? To me, I think DEI truly means freedom in all aspects. Diversity, equity, and inclusion means that no matter where you came from, what gender you identify as, what sexuality you are, the color of your skin, your ethnicity, no matter what, we accept you and we value you. And no matter what, we want to provide you equal and equitable access to all opportunities or to anything that you need. And so I think personally, DEI was something that I truly came to learn over the years, especially coming into college. I came to understand that understand and realize that it's a large aspect in my life. And I didn't even realize it because growing up, I was raised in a white household. So I was really sheltered from all the disparaging things that my peers were going through. So I didn't know what to listen to or listen for what I needed to look for because I had no idea. And so when I went to college, I branched out and learned the importance of diversity and inclusion. And when the George Floyd murder happened and later on the sentencing, I had to sit with my mom and have those tough conversations and what it truly meant to me and how this made me feel internally. And so I felt almost alone on my mom's side of the family just because they didn't understand how close this hit home for me. And being a biracial child was always difficult for me because I never felt fully I never really figured out what community I belonged to because I wasn't white and I wasn't fully black. And so it was strange always trying to figure that out in my day-to-day life. And growing up, I had no idea. So when everything with George Floyd happened, I knew what role in my society, what role I played in the society. And I knew I had to speak up and it didn't matter what community I identified with because using my voice to educate people on the years of suffering the black and brown communities had to endure for centuries. And for me, it started with addressing all the microaggressions that I experienced from 
what was being said about my hair to the people making insensitive comments about my family being from Haiti and the name calling of the color of my skin. From there, I grew and blossomed into this incredibly passionate woman about diversity, equity, and inclusion who truly wants to make a change for the better and an organization accepting that I do have a different perspective to offer just due to how I grew up and where I've been throughout my life and my global experiences is incredibly important. And so, although I may be, you know, 23 years old, I still, I still have a very powerful voice to offer just, just like everyone else. And everyone has something unique to bring to the table. And professionally, I think we have a lot of work to do. And when I say we, I mean corporate America in general. Sure, Rush Copley has their areas of improvement, but so does everyone else when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I, I've noticed in many organizations that DEI is almost side work or a subcategory to achieve, but it should never be that way. Diversity, equity, inclusion is it's a whole department in some places. It's a whole strategic goal. It's continuous effort and work, and it can no longer be pushed to the side. And I think we've all realized that minorities and people from non-majority backgrounds, they're speaking up because they recognize the years of silence. And, you know, they, they along with myself, they want to see change happen. They want to be a part of the change that's going to occur. And, incremental steps become exceptional outcomes. And I think if one person in leadership makes that jump towards a better future, then I think that would make the world of difference. That answer was a lot to unpack. And I thank you for feeling like this is a platform that you can be open and honest about what you've endured. I had no idea. And I think it's important to be willing to have those uncomfortable conversations or progress will not move forward. I think that's how, that's what DEI is, right? That's almost how people think of it is an uncomfortable conversation. But what we want to shy away from is it shouldn't be an uncomfortable conversation. It never should be that way. It should be an opportunity for us to ask one another, how can we improve And how can we make you feel more inclusive in this environment and make you feel comfortable coming to work every day and making an impact in the work that you're doing, whether it's providing care or being a receptionist, it doesn't matter. How can we make you feel more comfortable here? That's, that's very true. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Mary, how do you plan to prioritize DEI over the next year and then moving forward to the next three to five years? Well, I think I want to acknowledge Corey as well. I loved her comments and her passion. And we learned a lot working with Corey this summer. We had some wonderful projects that we did together. But even before that, John and I and the rest of our executive team, we have been sorting through how we'll incorporate DE&I to be part of our fabric, not just a side conversation, as Corey mentioned, can happen all too often in organizations. And we're very fortunate being part of a healthcare system. There's a lot of work that has occurred at Rush University, the Academic Medical Center, and we, Rush Copley, is very engaged in that. So a couple things we've done more recently, um, something that we're very proud of here is our values. And 
Here at Rush Copley, our values come forward in what we call our promise. And our promise isn't just words on paper, but it's very palpable within our organization. They're simple statements like warm, friendly greetings, answering your call lights, personal escort to your destination, and that promise is to our patients. So about two years ago, a year and a half ago, we added to our promise a statement around diversity, equity, and inclusion that we want our value statement to incorporate that. Taking that further, we did a lot of training. So I think education is a big component of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Corey mentioned that. And then even in your question, how did it look 10 years ago? We're all ever learning and ever changing. And so educating our leader terms on understanding and having more of a broad base. And now this year, fast forward, we're going to educate all of our employees, which will involve uh, about an hour education session on something we call implicit bias. So that will be an important component. We've connected it to our strategic plan. It is in our strategic plan to excel in this space and um, become better. We opened a lending library to add to our repertoire more books so we can read and do better. And I happened to read a really wonderful book that I wanted to put out this out there to the students of public health. It's a book that actually inspired me called Cast and Origins of Our Discontent by Isabel Wilkerson. I really recommend that read. It is a beautiful story. It opened my eyes to so many things. This book is specific to racism in America, but it really was a wonderful book that gave me insights to our journey in a whole new way. So connecting the dots is what's important for myself and John as leaders to make sure all of our employees and team members and the patients we care for have that understanding that folks having a space feeling welcomed, as Corey talked about, and just being able to show up for who they are is an important part of of what we believe in. So DEI has been a hot topic over the last couple years. And I know there's been a lot of pressure for organizations and businesses in all sectors to produce statements or policy changes, etc. John, how as a leader, do you rise above these pressures and make sure that the culture of Rush Copley is inclusive? Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mirror a little bit of what Mary said, maybe add a little bit to it. You know, we don't want DE&I to be uh, a trend or a, fa- or a fad or, as Corey said, side work. It's got to be ingrained and interwoven into our culture. And that's where it starts. So, you know, this is going to get into some, you know, maybe academic theory where you have to start with the value statement, bring it down to the strategy level, and then take it to tactics. So those are the three steps. So the first step, you know, Mary mentioned our values, our promise. So these are nine promises that we commit our employees to learn and to memorize and to act out in their daily work. And um, we, we start with orientation. Mary does a presentation on orientation. And throughout their time with Copley, you know, they wear it on their badge. It's, it's, it's plastered kind of all over our, our campus. And to add that equity and inclusion uh, statement to our treat our patients with courtesy and respect, I think is a big statement for us. This isn't something that's just a hot topic to talk about in the summer of 2021. This is something that's going to be remain with our organization ongoing. So it starts with the values. Then, then you have to connect the dots to your strategic plan. So as Mary said, in our strategic plan, we're going to require all of our employees to go through implicit bias training this year. Our leadership did it last year. It was eye-opening. I think many of us thought that, you know, 
we we might have some biases, but then you your eyes are open that okay, you we have more biases than we think, and that's okay, that's normal. And and when we realize that, we like we got to take this to all employees and not just make it you know something that they. Uh, have access to, but really make it a requirement that everyone is aware of the implicit bias that everyone has, no matter what your race is, no matter what your age or gender, we all have those biases. So that's something we, you know, put into our strategic plan. And then taking that to the tactic level, you know, looking at those department resources, Mary mentioned a couple of things. We also have a committee, an employee uh, resource group that meets regularly to talk about these topics. Mary and I have been hosting some town hall meetings are related to the strategic plan, but where you can bring up anything, you can bring you can bring up you know inclusion questions or any anything that's controversial. And I think that for me, and I mentioned this in our management team this morning, to me as leaders, we have to be approachable. You know, we people can't be afraid to come talk to the CEO or the COO or the CFO. We have to be approachable. We have to be visible. And I love working in an organization where I know somebody who might feel that. You know, maybe I said something in a meeting that was maybe insensitive or or somebody else could come up and say, John, you know, I know what you meant by this, but you might want to use these terms next time. And when we talk about having that uncomfortable conversation, yeah, that might be uncomfortable, but really it's more of an education. It's it's just teaching each other and having a culture where we can, you know, kind of do little nudges or correct each other, you know, when something's said that maybe could be taken the wrong way. So I really enjoy working for an organization that has that. We still have a long way to go, as Mary said. We're still learning every day and we'll be learning 10 years, 15, 20 years from now. We're all gonna be learning. I mean, we're, we're just trying to make this a better organization and really society a better place. So you mentioned that Rush Copley created those nine promises. Can you mention who was a part of that committee that created those nine promises and what went into that? Sure, I'd, I'd be happy to. So when we moved the hospital back in 1995, we wanted to come up with, you know, it was part of the re-engineering of healthcare, you know, where we started looking at patient flow and how do we approach the patient care experience and everything else. And we decided at the time to make these nine statements and we put a committee together made up of staff level people, housekeepers, nurses, therapists, phlebotomists, accountants. We, and actually, I was not on that committee, but my mother was at the time, and she's passed away since then, but she was the manager of housekeeping. So whenever someone says that about, you know, how'd that come to be, it, it actually is personal to me because she was on this team that helped build the, the, the promise statement to our patients. And, and I'm very proud that here we are 25 years later, and we don't, we don't touch it very often. I think we've only touched it one other time, and uh, I'm proud that we're able to add the equity and inclusion into the promise this past year. And Alexis, just a little bit of add to that, that recommendation to add diversity, equity, and inclusion came from a group we have called DIRA, the Diversity Inclusion Resource Alliance. So that's an employee-led team within our organization, a team that is has a nice, mighty force. We lost a little bit of traction of that team meeting in the pandemic. We all got distracted with caring for patients, but that team brought forward the recommendation to administration to John and I to add to our promise. And we could not say no. We were excited about it from the get. And again, another example of what John mentioned, the, the ability for healthcare leaders, those of you who are going to go into healthcare for your future, your ability to connect with your teams and with the people that you serve and to listen for their ideas and be open to ideas and open to change is really critical to success. So we're proud that it was 
our employees that brought the forward the the um, recent change. That's excellent. And you guys have sprinkled some great pieces of advice throughout your answers and definitely going to recommend it to all students interested in practicing healthcare and whatever practice that may be. Corey, as you mentioned earlier, DEI has been at the forefront of what you do, both personally and professionally. Can you talk about your project work pertaining to DEI this summer at Rush Copley and highlight something that may have surprised you? So this summer, I did a huge project on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And Mary, I would say was my preceptor for the project. We worked very closely together on this project. It started out doing an impact report. And so that was just collecting, well, not just, that's really important to see, you know, the growth that we've made over the years and where we could grow even more. It was collecting the initiatives that we have in place that pertain to the community, our staff, our patients, and putting a timeline together of just visualizing where have we, you know, grown over the past years? What have we done? And put together a presentation to present that. I didn't get um, very far with that portion just because I think we were still trying to figure out some things to put in because there's really a lot of initiatives that Rush Copley has done, whether they were large initiatives or just smaller initiatives. They've come a long way with DEI. And although I didn't see all of them happen when I was there for the summer, it was really cool to just learn about what they're investing their time into. And then the other side of the project was sending out a organization-wide survey. It started out with focus groups, but we realized we had such a small portion of time to like framework to work within. And we figured a survey would be a little better just to collect information quicker and put that all together for a presentation. So we sent out I shouldn't know the stats of the survey by now, but it was You're doing great, Corey. But we did a mixed method survey, both quantitative yes. and qualitative, to our employees. And the purpose of the survey was to get their attitudes on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Yes. And there, each question had, uh, it spoke about something, whether it was diversity, equity, or inclusion. So one question would ask, How do you feel, or do you? Feel feel comfortable expressing your opinion, whether it's a differing opinion from others. And that spoke about inclusion. And do you feel that diversity is a priority for Rush Copley that speaks about diversity? So each question had a category. And we, I, I'm not in the beginning, we didn't really set it up that way. It kind of just ended up working out that way. And we, we noticed like, oh my goodness, each question has a theme to it. And we felt at the end that was really important to highlight in our presentation. And so at the end, we had the survey open for about, actually for two weeks. And Mary and I spent hours, days just collecting the information and sifting through it. How can we categorize these responses into a presentation? How can we put them in buckets and then present it to where people can truly understand where people feel about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I, I think I have four main takeaways from this survey. And I think the first one, Mary is going to know very, very well what I mean by this is there's much more to a survey than you think. 
And when we were creating the survey, there were so many minute details that we didn't even think of uh, until the survey was out. For example, I was like, we didn't translate this into Spanish. But one, there was such a small amount of time to get that translated to within the next three days, right? And then also, we want people to respond and be able to read the survey, how it's presented already, you know? And we also didn't define diversity, equity, inclusion. We asked, we asked people their thoughts without giving them that understanding of what it was, because we also wanted to see, are people really aware of what DEI truly means? And another one is we sent out the survey and I think a couple days later we said, you know what, why don't we distribute hand or printed copies of the survey to staff members that don't have regular access to computers or don't have a smartphone to uh, do a QR code. And so we did that to a couple departments throughout the hospital just to give them the same opportunity that you know, secretaries may have or greeting staff may have to a computer. And then the second thing that I learned was the lack of education and understanding, whether they were for a more inclusive environment or not. I think people just didn't really understand what it truly means to have a diverse work staff and what it means to represent the community that you're serving. Number three, how long people stay silent about topics that hit so incredibly home for them. This survey identified a lot of gaps in within Copley, but it also brought to light some of the pain and hurt that people have felt for years and just didn't feel comfortable bringing that topic up to their peers or to their managers or directors. We saw that in their survey responses. And it wasn't always positive responses, but that's okay because we wanted to understand their sentiments about, you know, the questions we were asking. And I think the last thing that I truly took home from or took with this project was just some of the thoughts and comments people feel about certain topics, for example, pride, Black Lives Matter, people of color in general. These people are people we work with, we speak to every single day, and they feel so uncomfortable with who people are naturally. It, it, they can't help but be negative. And, you know, you can't, you can't be upset about that because that's how they grew up. That's they they don't know any other other way. And so our job is to help educate and to give them those points on here's where we're coming from, you know, and I think that was my the main things I learned from this project. And we learned from you, too, Corey. So we appreciate the feedback all summer. Yeah, no, I, I would say it was an incredible experience to do this, do this project, you know. I think over the summer I was given, I was given projects and they all were, they all were great, but this one was truly something that I felt I could contribute to and make a difference, a positive difference in a community hospital. And I will forever take this experience with me because it is a topic that needs to be discussed more. And like I said earlier, organizations have whole departments on diversity, equity, inclusion, and I think it's fabulous that Copley is 
putting diversity, equity, inclusion in their strategic plan. They're talking about it in manage in their management agendas. Like they're they're truly making obvious efforts to be better and do better. And I was so proud to be a part of that work that they were doing. I'm going to compliment and just maybe um, brag a little bit here for Corey and our project. Truly, this was meant to be a baseline survey. And I love, Corey came up with this, and I really want to compliment her. We were thinking of different things we could do, but she had an overarching intention, I would say, to hear the voice of our employees. We do a ton of surveys at Rush Copley. I think John and I are really in tune to trying to hear the voice of our employees, but Corey wanted to get insight on this particular topic, which we've not really done that before. So some amazing things in the project, we had over a 20% response rate. That's fantastic. So Corey, as a young researcher, she did a great job setting up the method of the survey. We learned a lot. We had limitations in our survey, but ultimately we got hundreds of responses and we're able to categorize those responses to give us a little bit of an insight, a further insight of the attitudes of our employees. And that's powerful because now we know how to enhance further from there education, strategies, learning sessions, listening sessions. Corey put together a whole list of things we could do into the future based on what we learned and heard our staff speak. So I'm just really proud that Corey helped us with this project. And we'll be doing the survey again to Yay. see how far we come. I would, I would love to, to see where you guys are with that and whenever you distribute the survey, you know, kind of the responses, have they changed? Have we grown in the topic of DEI? It sounds like this was a really rewarding project, Corey, and it's been really great to listen to you. But before we wrap up, we've talked about all the progress Rush Copley has made over the last year and so on. What hardships have you encountered while making this progress? Well, I, I have maybe one hardship and then maybe one you know, kind of final comment. But one of the hardships we have, frankly, is we need to have a more, a more diverse board, uh, board of directors. When you look at it from a governance perspective, our board doesn't have term limits. And we've got a lot of people who, you know, have been fiduciaries in our community for a long, long time. And they've done tremendous work. But we need to have our board be more reflective of the patients and community that we that we serve. So one of the things that is in my goals for this year is to uh, create a community advisory council, which will be uh, a place where we can cultivate new board members and develop a board succession plan so that we can bring in a more diverse group from a from an age perspective, from a gender perspective, from race, you know, status, all those things. And a core competency for them is going to be knowing the voice of our community. You know, and we always talk about, you know, are our board members good at finance? Or are they good at marketing? Or are they good at strategy? I think a core competency is, do you have the pulse of our community? And I think that's just as important as having expertise in finance or, or any of those other things. So that's one hardship, I think, that we need to overcome. And I'm committed to doing that. And just, you know, kind of a final thought, I thought, and that's, I know one of your, your, your earlier comments was, you know, what, what have we learned over the last 10 years? And, 
you know, five, 10 years ago, if someone would have asked me, you know, John, are you aware and good at diversity, equity, and inclusion? I probably would have naively said, sure. You know, I, I grew up in Aurora. It's a diverse town. I grew up in a diverse neighborhood in a diverse town. So of course I've, you know, grew up in that community, which I'm sure has helped me in some ways, but looking back on it, that was a very naive, that would have been a naive thing to say, because, you know, when I was in school at Iowa, you know, they taught us about finance and marketing and governance and epidemiology and medical terminology and medical ethics and all those important classes that you guys are taking. But there was no formal education in diversity, equity, inclusion, or in implicit bias. And I hope that universities, and you guys might be seeing it now, I hope universities are building that into their curriculum so that our young leaders come out more prepared maybe than I did coming out of school and can uh, hit the ground running with some of these initiatives. I think something, a final comment as well is I came into, especially my project, almost forcing people to listen and hear me out because I thought I was helping change the culture for the better. And I'd say that I was incredibly wrong for that. Diversity, equity, and inclusion in general is a very sensitive topic. Like I said, it can be uncomfortable, but people always have differing opinions and differing views about the topics that lie underneath DEI. And so I learned that projecting my views and opinions on others for the better was not always to was not always the way to go about that conversation. And so I found that I needed to provide a safe environment for people to discuss the topic with me. I needed to listen to them and hear their voice and value it. And sure, not everyone has positive things to say, but our job as leaders is to not judge one another for the opinions that they have, but to value and figure out what perspective that they can bring to the table. Alexis, maybe I'll summarize too with a final comment. I loved what everybody has said. And I think while in in one way, a hardship was the terms diversity, equity, and inclusion have become so emotional in our country and have started the conversations as Corey had um, spoke to with the death of George Floyd, et cetera, the murder of George Floyd. And fast forward, we're a healthcare organization leading people, taking care of our community. And what the hardship was helping those words remain focused on the patient for the purposes of what we're doing here in healthcare. And Corey and I spend a lot of time on that. And even as we evaluated the responses of our survey, we realized the words charge response And that was good to see and hear all that. And what we want to do as healthcare leaders here at Rush Copley is just stay, continue to keep focused on the patient and how our growth in diversity, equity, and inclusion ultimately affects and improves the patient outcome. And we're really proud that Corey connected those dots in her work. They may seem a bit obvious, but when you have a country that's kind of on fire with these topics, it, it wasn't as obvious as maybe it should have been. And so that's what we're learning. And that's what our intention is, is to really try to stay focused on patient care and how focus on these topics can improve health care for folks, truly improve their health care and their lives subsequently. I think and I that- love working with Corey. She's our warrior. 
<laughs> on that note, I just wanted to thank all three of you for taking the time out of your busy schedules to talk about DEI and what Rush Copley is doing currently in their different initiatives. So thank you all so much. Thanks, Alexis. This is an important topic, and it's nice to give back to the university. And I appreciate it. If you guys ever need more speakers, I'm happy to help out. And go Hawks. Go Hawks. Go Great Hawks. work, Alexis. Thanks, everyone. That's it for our episode this week. Big thanks to John, Mary, and Corey for coming on with us today. This episode was hosted, written, edited, and produced by Alexis Clark. You can learn more about the University of Iowa College of Public Health on Facebook. Our podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to help support the podcast, please share it with your colleagues. Our team can be reached at cph-gradambassador at uiowa.edu. This episode was brought to you by the University of Iowa College of Public Health. Stay happy, stay healthy, and keep learning.